Hello, bonjour and tanse. I'm Paula Simons, and this is Alberta Unbound. Late last month, the rapper Cadence Weapon tweeted this. I'm always amused by the increase in press requests I get around Black History Month. It's like if I was Irish and I suddenly got asked to do hundreds of interviews about my heritage for St. Patrick's Day, and then bookings tailed off for the rest of the year. I felt more than a little self-conscious when I read that, because this is indeed my interview with Cadence Weapon, and we are indeed running it to coincide with Black History Month. But in my defense, I'd been trying to arrange this interview for a long time, because Cadence Weapon, a.k.a. Roly Pemberton, is someone I've long wanted to interview. He's a musician. He's Edmonton's former poet laureate. His latest album, Parallel World, won the Polaris Prize this past fall as Canada's Album of the Year. And his new memoir, Bedroom Rapper, is being published by Penguin Random House this May. And while he now makes his home in Toronto, he is very much from Edmonton and from Alberta and his connection with this place informs so much of his work. So here is our conversation about Prairie Voices, Alberta Identity, Edmonton Time, and yes, Black History. We're recording this interview for Black History Month, and your own family has played a remarkable role in Edmonton's Black history. Uh, I don't need to tell you this, but I'll tell other people this, that your maternal grandfather, Roly Miles, was one of the great, great stars of Edmonton football in the early 1950s and one of Canada's most renowned athletes, and then went on to a distinguished career as a teacher. But your grandmother, Dr. Marion Miles, was every bit as remarkable, a teacher, and later one of Alberta's leading psychologists who raised seven kids, entered a master's degree and a PhD in a generation when relatively few women went to university at all. So I wanted to start by asking, what was it like growing up against the backdrop of that kind of legacy? Well, you know, that's just how I grew up. You know, I, I, I feel really lucky. I feel like you know, we were, our family is a great example of like black excellence, you know, and just, uh, you know, being a part of one of the, what I, I guess back in that time, like in the fifties, one of the more prominent black families in Edmonton, you know, I mean, I, I, I've heard all the stories from my grandparents where, you know, where it would be like grandpa would see another black person driving down the street and he'd chase them down, wave them down and be like, oh, hey, hey, let's exchange information. You know, like that's how rare it was to to see other black people. But I, I feel like it's just a I, I hope to continue that legacy, you know, just with everything I'm doing now. I, I feel like, you know, it, with a with great responsibility, you know, that that's how I do everything. Yeah, your grandparents arrived here in 1951. What kind of stories did you hear about what it was like for them in their early years in Edmonton at a time when, as you say, the city had a very tiny black community? Mm, well, I think a lot of what I've been told was, you know, kind of explaining, uh, you know, that we're not so different, you know, and, and, and really trying to lead by example, you know, because obviously that people still had these like prejudices and preconceptions about what they thought black people were like, you know, so uh, one thing that um, my grandpa would do was he he made it a point to introduce himself to a new person every day, you know, and he was just like, really just trying to show people like, you know, this is what it is, what a black person is, you know, if you don't know, you know, and there, there are other, you know, situations where, for instance, he had, there was a Vicks cough drops uh, ad that was up in downtown Edmonton and it had a black caricature on it. And it was really demeaning image. And he actually called the company and had them remove it. 
and had to explain, you know, like this is offensive and everything. But, you know, so it, I mean, they were leaving the States, obviously, which was, was, you know, a lot worse and, and it had more of a deep seated history of racism, but it, you know, it what it's not like there wasn't anything happening here. Yeah. Your father, Teddy Pemberton was a New York DJ who was renowned for being the person who basically introduced rap and hip hop to Edmonton and Edmonton radio back in 1980 when, when, you know, they were very new forms on his show, The Black Experience in Sound. So, I mean, what brought him to Edmonton and how important was his musical influence on your life? Well, yeah, the thing with my dad, um, you know, obviously he, he ended up settling in Edmonton with my mom, Michelle Miles. And before that, they met in university at um, Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um yeah, they, they moved there. They lived in Washington, D.C. a little bit before that. And then they moved to Edmonton, back to Edmonton. And yeah, I think it was a big culture shock for, for my dad, <laughs> you know, to come be growing up in New York, living in, he lived mostly in like upstate New York and stuff. And then going to Edmonton, you know, it's, it's a whole different vibe. But I think, you know, he, he really, you know, eased into it. And the, the legacy that he built just with the radio show was really amazing to me just growing up around that and seeing people be like, Oh yeah. Like I listen to your dad's show. Like that was the first time I ever heard rap. You know, I feel like just having a, a parent like that really inspired me obviously to become a rapper. Um, but just to normalize the music. Cause like back for so long, even when I was younger and when I was first starting to make music and telling people I was a rapper, there was still the mind state of like rap is crap, you know? Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, this is obviously, I mean, this is very, it was a very like country, country Western kind of place, like, you know, um, but my dad, he really just kind of like broke, he was a, a groundbreaking individual that way. And, you know, I feel like as time goes by, yeah, people know him. He's like this great DJ or whatever, but really his, his voice was the thing, you know, he's, he's legendary for his voice. Like, you know, the sayings he would say on the radio show, you know, it's just like, he, he was, he was iconic, you know? And I mean, and ahead of his time, I mean, 1980, rap was, I mean, it was, I mean, this is the very, very genesis of the genre. So, I mean, he was a long way from the epicenter of, of where these communities were evolving, but he was right on the cutting edge of, of what that sound was. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he was very early into it. I mean, a lot of the stuff he would play too with, with, with stuff that informed rap before, like people would even call it rap or call it hip hop, like just think like early like funk records and stuff that had like rhyming and whatever um but yeah he always stayed connected with his roots in new york you know like he he he'd order records from there he'd go and visit there and you know i think he always kept a new york state of mind you know like it's like <laughs> kind of like this like no nonsense mentality and he's just going to do what he wanted to do but it's like not just hip-hop was the thing that's one one thing i want to yeah. really like focus on is like he was to me one of the first kind of multi-format DJs before like that was a thing you know where he would play everything from like funk and soul and rap to like Jimi Hendrix you know and then he would open his show with the 2001 uh, Space Odyssey theme you know <laughs> like like it was like a lot of uh it was very theatrical you know yeah so with such rich family roots and such a strong sense of black identity in your family what was it like for you growing up in Edmonton and Alberta at a time when even then there wasn't a huge black community? I mean, it's not like you had to go, you know, running, running and chase down every, every person you saw who looked like you, but it still was, you know, a small community at that time. 
Absolutely. It definitely was. And I, it was really reflected when I was going to school, you know, when I was in elementary, like um, I grew up in Millwoods originally. And um, a lot of my first friends were all um, South Asian, you know, yeah. like that. And we kind of like bonded together and like, you know, we'd be on the same basketball teams and stuff. My dad would be like the basketball coach and stuff. And like, yeah, um, just like Fountain Lake kind of area, you know, and <clears throat> it was definitely strange just going to school. Like I definitely had experiences where, you know, I was the only black person in the entire school. Like that happened to me yeah. before. Like um, I actually had to leave a school because like I, there was a, a racist incident where, you know, a kid called me the N word and it was, you know, it, it, I was like made aware of uh, yeah. the fact that I was different from, from an early age, you know? And even like going into like high school too, like it was like, you can literally count the, the other black people like on like one hand in the in entire school you know i think things are a lot more different now like i mean we didn't have the, the same you know somalian community that we do today like I, I feel like i love every time i go back now it's just looking more diverse more different yeah. and i feel like it's just miles away from what it was like when i was growing up yeah the whole genesis of this podcast of this show alberta unbound it started off with an attempt to sort of wrestle with questions of Alberta identity, who gets to define what it means to be an Albertan and how we define ourselves and how that definition is changing and evolving. So I'm curious to know, I mean, you're from Millwoods, you're from Edmonton, but what does being an Albertan mean to you? And have you ever defined yourself as an Albertan in those terms? I definitely do feel I'm definitely an Albertan, you know, and I'm, I'm very proudly Albertan, you know, and that's something that I take with me everywhere I go, because, you know, I feel like there's a certain kind of underdog feeling that comes along with being from Alberta. You know, it's, it, I, I experienced it the first times I would go to travel to Toronto and like play shows and be where the music industry was based and whatever when I was younger. And I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm from Alberta. And I'm from Edmonton. And they're like, oh, where's that? <laughs> Right, like, and it's like we're part of the same country. Come on, city of a million people. Um, yes, yeah. It's like it's like oh, you're from a town called Edmonton. I'm like it's a big city. Come on, <laughs> but you know, but um, I I really wear it as a badge of honor, and I feel like especially just with the kind of stuff that I'm rapping about, rapping about Black Canadian history. You know, I talk about places like Amber Valley, yeah. where like I actually have cousins who are ancestors from there, and like I I, I just feel like it's it's interesting because there's a whole idea of like going West, you know, and the, 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 the frontier and like what the unlimited possibility that lies with that in, 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 in the legendary way of saying, right. And I feel like um, that's how I felt with being a rapper from Alberta, because there wasn't like a really prominent scene. There wasn't anyone who was nationally or internationally known before me. And it really gave me like a blank canvas to really, develop what it means to be a certain kind of Albertan, you know? Yeah. A couple of years ago, you and I were both commissioned uh, by 18 Bridges magazine to write essays about Edmonton inspired by Canada's sesquicentennial. And I want to read a little bit of, uh, of from your essay, not from my essay, from your essay. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote then, uh, to me, Edmonton was a glittering, underappreciated metropolis. I wondered why all the music I heard and the films I watched were filled with romanticism for places like New York, London, and Paris, yet never for my city. Everyone knows that time is money in New York, and everyone knows that time is unhurried in California. But what can be said about Edmontonian time? It was that absence of understanding, that lack of cultural imprint, that pushed me to create art about Edmonton in the first place. 
So what is special then about Edmonton time? I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's a very particular feeling I get whenever I'm there that it's like, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's like limbo, (laughs) but it's just kind of like it, it, it's at its own pace. You know, it's like not, you know, I feel like when I'm in New York or like even in Toronto, like I always know everything, all news is happening every second. And I feel like I'm inundated with, you know, every terrible thing that is happening in the world, like instantaneously. Um, And then sometimes, for instance, when I'm in Montreal, it feels different where like, I feel like I don't know anything that's going on. And there's like, I have no, I have no information about anything Anglo. Like, it's just like, whatever. Whereas when I'm in Edmonton, it really feels just kind of like there's a calmness to it. There's a, there's, there's an unhurried kind of uh, self-contained spirit to it, you know? And it's like, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's not like Island time, but it's like maybe like a cousin to it or something, you know? Yeah. I remember when I, when I first moved to Toronto and I, I lived there for a couple of years working as a producer for the CBC and I got so flustered getting on and off the subway. People would run up the escalator. <laughs> Why? The, 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 the purpose of the, you stand and then the escalator takes you. Where are you going? Why are you running on the escalator? And I had to learn to like, learn to like move over if I wasn't going to run up the escalator like everybody else. Yeah, no, that's it's it, I, the way I describe being in Toronto. I think I mentioned it in um in the, in that article is that it's like uh, as soon as I arrived here, it's like you're jumping on a treadmill that's moving, you know, and you're just trying to stay on the treadmill, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to, and if you fall off, you got to leave town, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, it's that running on the escalator. So yeah. you um in your music, you've called Edmonton Dirt City, which yeah. is a name that's stuck. Um, and I wonder what does that dirt city moniker mean to you? And why do you think so many Edmontonians embraced it? Cause I mean, I hear it, I hear it everywhere. Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't invent it, but it, it, like a friend of mine, a different, uh, an artist, uh, Amelia Aspen was the first person I ever heard to call it that. And I was like, yeah, that fits perfectly. Cause I feel like it was just this kind of like, we're a hard scrabble town, you know, it's like, you know, we're not Calgary, like it's a different vibe, you know? And it's like, I feel like people really, it, it, to me, it's kind of like um, um, in New Jersey, is in Newark, they call it Brick City, you know? And I was like, oh, that feels like, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're like owning who we are, you yeah. know? Yeah, without pretense. Yeah, I love to hear that people are, are still using it and they're vibing with it. Because I remember when I called my album Hope in Dirt City, um, there were a lot of people who were just like, it's not dirty here. <laughs> you know, like they took it real personal and it was just like, oh, it's kind of like a, you know, like it's a self-deprecating kind of like, you know, endearment thing. You know, it's not like I'm from dirt town or whatever, you know? Um, Edmonton has been wrestling a lot with its sense of identity and its namings. And one of your earliest songs, maybe I think the first song of yours I ever heard was called Oliver Square which is the name of a shopping plaza not very far from where I live. I walk there all the time. It is not a glamorous or particularly cool place. I mean, it has a a London Drugs and a Staples and a Safeway, but you somehow made it cool. But the development was named for Frank Oliver, an Edmonton newspaper publisher and politician whose racism was pretty extreme, even for his era. And its owners recently changed the name of the place to Unity Square. And as I was re-listening to Oliver Square the other day to prepare for this interview, I wondered what what you make of the renaming of Oliver Square as Unity Square? Oh, you know, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's the right decision. I'm really happy about it. 
Um, I, I will eventually re-record the song and re-release it as Unity Square. Um, <laughs> I, I decided I wanted to do that because it's like you know when I when I wrote it, I was just like you know I'm, like, I'm a teenager who's just like you know this is like the mini mall where like I used to work at the McDonald's, you know, like, it's like, I, I, it wasn't that deep. Like, I was like, okay, like, this is the place in my neighborhood. Like, let me make it like hype, you know? And then it really caught on, you know? And it was like, people, I felt like people really saw themselves in that song. I was like, okay, this is, this is working. But I think, yeah, the whole name change thing. I mean, that's, that's time. Time is very interesting that way. I've learned if you listen to the rest of the song, half the stuff I'm talking about doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Like the venues and clubs and all that stuff is gone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now, your grandfather was famous for playing for a team that until very recently uh, was known as the Edmonton Eskimos. And the name change to the Edmonton Elks has felt overdue for a long time. Um, I, I, sort of, I sort of wrestle with these things. I mean, I was a big proponent of changing the name of the football team. Um, I was less certain about taking Frank Oliver's name off of things because his name is mm-hmm. on so many things. I think a few things could have his stand have his name taken off them. But I sometimes wrestle with this myself. If we run a risk of sort of whitewashing our past when we change all these names, if it sort of papers over the racism of the past and pulls focus from the racism of our present, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, the, okay. For, for one, with the, with the football team thing, I was a real proponent of changing the name because I'm like, if there's, if there's something out there that hurts anybody, change it, change the name, right? Like it's like, why, why I don't want to be proud of like, you know, and this is coming from somebody whose family is part of the yeah. team, you know, like is, yeah. is part of the, I mean, the, I mean, I mean your team. grandfather was like the, you know, the hero in the era of, you know, it was Johnny Bright, Jackie Parker, Rolly Miles, Norman Kwong. I mean, that was, that was the team. And we're looking, we got a new name and the, his legacy remains like it doesn't, it didn't affect anything. It's just, it's like when Washington used to be the Washington bullets and they changed it to the wizards, why they're the wizards. Nobody knows. However, nobody cares. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And no one is offended except for people who maybe rep their wizards and they, they don't like being made fun of. <laughs> but when it comes to names of different, like, you know, naming statues, I go back to think about like, what is the, what was the ori- initial purpose of dedicating these kind of big public things to certain individuals? Well, it was like, for me, in a lot of cases of like statues of people who have history of white supremacy or whatever you know it they, they're to me kind of like fearsome reminders of certain people's place in society and you know when it comes to things like that you know like a person like frank oliver you know uh the grandin grandin station situation yeah like we got to change the names you know and it's like you know places change names like it's like it does it, i don't think like somebody who's has anybody from the families spoken about that i haven't i haven't caught anybody like i don't i don't know if there are members of the oliver family who have spoken out um you know frank oliver he had a lot of very noxious views and his and his name is on many if if you're not from edmonton it's hard of hard to it's hard to overestimate the number of things named after this one guy um and why but why why? (laughs) right like why you know it's like it's it to me it's like when somebody's in the comment section and they're like first they're the first person to post a comment that's frank oliver he was just there (laughs) you know early right so it's kind of like okay and now we do a reassessment of what he did in his life and it's kind of like we don't really want to celebrate this person and time has changed and we got to change the name you know i mean i i i think you know maybe they, they should just like i don't know cadence square 
that, you know what yeah. I'm yeah. Like, I, yeah, you know, I, I can see that. I can see like that. that. That's good. <laughs> so um, this summer, Fort Edmonton Park, which is Edmonton's Living History Museum, opened their new Indigenous Peoples Pavilion, which explores Edmonton's First Nation and Métis history. And the pavilion includes a very powerful film about the impact of residential schools. And the first time I went to see it, uh, you know, I'm watching this film and it is it just packs this huge emotional punch. There are trigger warnings before you go in. And then there you were. Um, and I wondered how you came to be involved um, in, in the music that underscores that film and what it means to you uh, as a Black Edmontonian, a settler with a different history, to be part of this major reconciliation project. Yeah, I feel like that project, like you know, the Meeting Place project, it's one of the most significant things I've been involved with in my entire career that that was like you know I, when I finally got to go see that and come back to Edmonton and you know it was the first time I saw the the, the footage all put together and yeah. I was just like this is it blew my mind you know and it was just so powerful um but yeah I got involved with that um uh the the music director is a guy named Tyler Fitzmorris and we've recorded stuff before, together uh, and the producer, Rio Mitchell, reached out. They both reached out to me. And um, I was familiar with both of them before. And they thought the idea of, you know, they've got this great, incredible group of Indigenous musicians from Alberta. And they wanted to have people represent settlers. And, you know, I was like a notable settler. So here I am, you know. And I, I, the process of making that was so special. It was all at the BAMP Center. Um, which I feel like is a very magical place anyway, yes. but you know, yes. just the process, every recording session would begin and end with like smudging, you know, and, you know, we would, we'd, we'd all be in a circle and talk about things we've learned. And, you know, I've, I've done so many recording sessions in my life. I, I've, I've done every situation you can imagine. And that situation by the, by the end of the sessions, like I was sobbing, yeah. you know, like it was just, it, it it really it goes to show like you know that this is really this you know art has such a spiritual connection and i feel like you know it's the kind of thing that is really that should have happened a long time ago and i especially like when i went to go see it you know you go, it's in fort Emerson park and the rest of the park i feel like is kind of like creepy <laughs> well it, 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 refra- it reframes the whole park because yeah. you now start there and instead of a story of sort of white settler triumphalism, which is, I think, in the DNA of the park from the 1970s when it opened, mm-hmm. I mean, this, I love Fort Edmonton. My, my daughter worked there for years. I, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time there. But this Indigenous Peoples Pavilion just reframes the entire experience and the entire conversation. And um, I mean, and, and that particular piece of film and music is just, I mean, it's just gutting. I mean, people come out of there sobbing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's not just you in the studio. I mean, it, I think the, you know, the emotion and the sincerity and the integrity of that project is carried forward. I mean, I can say this, you know, as a, as a, as a lay person in the audience, it's just, it's just an extraordinary artistic accomplishment. I think it's just going to be a really powerful tool, you know, for, for teaching and for bringing understanding. Cause like, I think there's still a lack of understanding of really what, what our, especially as Albertans, like what our relationship to um, the original people of, of Alberta, you know? Yeah. So into that whole, you know, the residential school legacy, I mean, 
you know, it's not the same as the slavery legacy. I mean, they are each their own separate, unique, and uniquely awful histories. But I think there's something really powerful in having your voice included in that conversation. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm really proud to be involved with it. And, you know, it's residential schools, like it's a shame of our country, you know, and it's, uh, it's something that we can't, you know, just push under the rug, you know? Your career is, you're having, this This is, I mean, it's been a bad year for everybody else. It's been a great year for you. Uh, I mean, you, you just won the Polaris Prize for the best Canadian album of the year. That was just this past fall for your album, Parallel World. And your new memoir, Bedroom Rapper, is coming out from Penguin Random House in May. Uh, now, of course, you now make Toronto home. And I'm guessing that it's no accident that this new wave of success coincides with living in a much larger city access to larger markets and businesses and all of those things. But do you still feel you're representing Edmonton? If I say the 780, does that make me sound like a stupid old white person trying to sound cool? But, you know, are are you repping the 780? Oh, I I just leaned right into it. Go in, go in. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm repping the 780 always, you know, that's how about 587 too? Why not? (laughs) Right. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm a seven eight zero girl. Five five eight five eight seven. That that that's for your parvenus. That's for your Johnny Come Latelys. We could be the seven instead of the six, right? Like <laughs> in Toronto. Um, but yeah, I definitely. I it was really important to me. I feel like I wouldn't have actually been able to uh, win Polaris had I not been working on the book at the same time because what i think really happened was i took inventory of my entire career leading up to there all my experiences in edmonton and like my how i made my first album and i ended up kind of revisiting that process with 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 parallel world and um what ended up happening was it just i tapped into like the raw essence of who i am and that's always going to be edmonton you know so uh, and that was really important to me when I won um, to, you know, shout out young artists in Edmonton and let let everybody know that you don't have to be from Toronto to be successful. That's the other thing. I could have done this all in Edmonton. You know, obviously it helps being close to like the, the you know, the actual, the music industry is based here. And, you know, there's all these, yeah. I definitely do ha- have really great opportunities because I'm here, but it's like everything, this was during the pandemic. Like I wasn't hanging out with anybody. I was like, this is straight from my mind. This is like straight from the dome, you know, like I'm doing this in my crib, writing these songs, you know, writing this book. So it's just, I just want to inspire people, you know? I I think it's true. I think often the black Canadian experience gets seen through the prism of the black community of Toronto or Montreal, or even of Halifax. And, you know, you ended your Polaris prize speech by saying the prairie's got something to say. So, I mean, how hard is it to get the black experiences of Edmonton and Alberta heard and, and what have the prairies got to say? Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, that was something that was, I've always wanted to say that um, <laughs> it's, it's actually a reference to like a outcast when they won in a, the best group award for the source awards in the nineties. And this was back when it was only East coast and West coast. they never talked about Southern rap. They were like, the South got something to say, you know? And I always remember that moment. I was like, I feel the same way about where I'm from, you know? And it's like, I grew up listening to rappers from the prairies, like in Winnipeg and, and Saskatoon and stuff. Like, and they really inspired me and showed me that it was possible to develop a following and be a rapper from the prairies, you know? And so I just really wanted to rap for where I was from, you know? Um, but yeah, what, what, what was the rest of the question? Sorry. I don't know. What have the prairies got to say? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention was <laughs> that I actually just wrote an article for CBC that's going to be 
coming out maybe by the time this podcast is out, um, where I really unpack the idea of what the prairie's got something to say, you know? And so essentially it's like, we have our way of doing things over here. I mean, it's like, it feels like I always compare, I got a rapper friend, Fat Tony, he's from Houston. And I feel like we're, we're from like the parallel places of each other, you know? And it's like, you know, it's like that don't mess with Texas. It's like Alberta has that energy a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, it sure does. You know, and it's kind of like, I, I've obviously it can be off-putting sometimes, but it's like, you know, we got our own thing going on here. And it's like, I hate when people who've never been to Edmonton, who've never been to Alberta, who have no idea what they're talking about, try to talk about, oh, Albertans did something. It's like, mind your business, really. <laughs> you know, like, we, we've, we've got it, okay? So uh, I, I'm going to end with this question. I, I have to say that... Um, because this is a relatively low budget podcast, um, we use very canned public domain music as our intro and our extra. And this is the first time we've had what you might call real music as part of Alberta Unbound, because you're, you're, you and your team gave us permission to include one of your pieces within our podcast. And if you will forgive me, I did not pick one of the new songs from the award-winning Parallel World. I chose an Edmonton-inspired classic, uh, Connor McDavid, because I think the Oilers need all the good vibrations they can get these <laughs> days. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about this song to set it up, because it shouts out so much... Um, to the Oilers' own Black history. And I wanted to ask what this song means. Yes, yes, that's right. On that song, I had to shout out George LaRock. I had to shout out Mike Greer, because growing up, you know, that was so inspiring to me. Like, it it, very rare to see Black players in the NHL back then, you know? And uh, and now you're seeing it's way more diverse. But um, yeah, that was a song that was really important for me to make. I like to make songs that only I could make. And uh, I, I feel like that was one of them. And it really resonated with people. Like I, my vision was like, I remember when Connor McDavid was first playing and like first doing his thing and people were like getting really excited about it in Edmonton. And I remember like seeing, you know, the flags were back, you know, and like people were yeah. driving their trucks and like, you know, all the talk radio, everyone was talking about this kid, Connor McDavid. And like, I was back in town at the time and I was like, you know, I really need to make a song. Uh, for people to play on their way to the game or pe- people to play, you know, when they're like ha- had a party, like watching a game or something like, I just like visualize, like, I, I, I want to do this for the people of Edmonton, <laughs> you know, well, I- and, 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 and it, people liked it. Yeah. All right. Well, here in the hopes that it brings good things to the Oilers in what's left of the season, uh, where they break hearts again here. Is uh, Caden's weapon with Connor McDavid. Let's bring it back to the 80s We was doing it bigger Five rings on my finger Put your team on freeze When you win the ice district I'm a bruiser like Luchik When it come to this music I'm the next great one Don't you ever confuse it Yo, we do it for the love We don't do it for the fame Reppin' Edmo We don't play for the flames Yeah, we caught a few L's Now we back in the game Hope you see a banner getting raised I be skating on your whole team Connor McDavid Young player, but I'm in the league Connor McDavid Anticipated when I came in We be winning when the game is I'll be skating on your whole
Dangerous Weapon, Rolly Pemberton, and that was Connor McDavid. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Alberta Unbound. This has been a, a, a wonderful conversation. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to meet with us. And we're looking forward to the memoir. Yes, Bedroom Rapper coming out this May. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Kate's weapon out of Edmonton. Yeah, I'm from right here. Shout out to Mike Greer. And that was my conversation with Roly Pemberton, a.k.a. Caitlin's Weapon. This episode of Alberta Unbound was produced and edited by Caitlin Cummings, with support from Pavan Minhas. And it was written and presented by me, Paula Simons, Independent Senator from Alberta, repping the 780. If you're new to the show and you want to hear more engaging conversations with remarkable Albertans, well, you're in luck. We have a great back catalogue for you to enjoy, and a great episode coming up next month. Stay well, stay warm. Thank you, merci, and hi hi.